Welcome to GeekGab on the Books. I'm Brian Niemeyer, briannemeyer.com. And joining me this afternoon, we have a panel of very special guests. First of all, with me is GeekGab Prime host Daddy Warpig, who uh, asked me to sit in on this episode. And you don't understand why. When I get to our two special guests, we have producers Mike Lerman and Richard Rosenthal who are working on a television adaptation of Black Tide Rising by author John Ringo. So, before we dive into that, I'm going to let our guests introduce themselves. Uh, gentlemen, how are you? Doing well. Doing well. Great, great. Thanks for having us on. Thanks for having us on this afternoon. You're welcome. So, you are undertaking a, uh, a, a massive project here. You are adapting... John Ringo's Black Tide Rising for television. So how did that come about? Um, actually, this, this all got started uh, about a year and a half ago. Uh, Mike had set up uh, a meeting with uh, Tony Weisskopf, who is the publisher at Bain Books. And we went out and visited with her and sat down and had an initial meeting. and. Uh, she said she had it. She asked us what we were interested in, and I said we were looking for properties that we could work with. And she said, Well, I think I have one in mind. And uh, um, she said, I'll send you these books. She said, Take a look at them, let me know what you think. And um, uh, my background has been I've been for the last eight or nine years uh, because of friends I have here and in Georgia uh, shooting. Uh, zombie-based, vampire-based type uh, horror shorts, if you will. That's what we've been doing. But that's how it got started. So uh, uh, she sent us those books and take a look at them and, and let us know what you think. And we kept on uh, talking about it and developed the game plan, and that's where we are today. Yeah, the funny thing about that is, is of course, and this was one of the first things Richard said to me when Tony described the premise and got the books. It was just kind of like a... Like, ah, oh, zombies, really? Because one of the things Richard had been telling me for a while is that, okay, I don't want to do horror stuff anymore. I don't want to do zombie stuff anymore. These guys are, you know, I'm working with a bunch of horror junkies. I'm just ready to do something different. But, and I, Richard can explain a whole lot better than I can, uh, the quality of Ringo's writing, the setting of the universe that he's, that he's got these characters in, uh, really converted us and really made us say, hey, there's something here, and this is something that deserves to be moved to the next level. Yeah, exactly. You know, when I started reading the stories, I called Mike on the phone and I said, it's, it, it, it's another zombie apocalypse. And, you know, as producers are supposed to do, I did keep reading. And so, uh, uh, as the saying goes, uh, just when I thought I was out, Ringo pulled me back in. So, <laughs> here we are. We're, we're going to be doing uh, this, this story, and we're excited about it. Well, we're glad you're here. So right now, do you have a series planned or are you just working on a pilot? Or is it going to be made for a TV movie? Have you decided? Well, you can go with that. A lot of it will depend on the initial funding and the interest that we get. Uh, the idea that we have, you know, if, if we could do this in a perfect world and we could do it exactly the way we want to do it, we see it as an episodic TV series that would be perfect for a streaming outlet. Uh, those kind of outlets allow for a whole lot more sort of a longer form story to be told. You don't have as many of the network considerations like, uh, you know, commercial run times and some of those things. Uh, 
places like Netflix and Amazon allow their shows to sort of bust the the sort of the traditional run times, you know, to tell their stories, and that's that's something that's very appealing to us. And it, you know, it's, it's just really a, you know, we we see it as perfect for that sort of medium, and ideally, if uh, you know, that's that's what we would like to do with it. We're trying to take the the, the what we basically have are the four books which make up the initial story and then an anthology that was released oh, about 18 months ago and we have the rights to all five books and with that amount of uh, story to tell episodic tv is the way to go if you had to really condense this down into a movie type format trying to get it all done in one movie would really be uh, a challenge to get done because the question would that be then be what are we going to cut out to make it fit into some reasonable runtime that you could get people to have an expectation they want to sit through and watch. Absolutely. Now, since this show focuses a little more on the author's point of view, I'm interested in how you said you you acquired the rights. You now you you talked to Tony. You got the rights to all five books. And a question I get a lot is uh, for, from authors is, you know, I'd love to see a television or movie adaptation of my novel someday. So since you gentlemen are coming at it from the producer's point of view, what would you say to an author who might ask, well, how, how does that happen? You know, how, what do I have to do to get my novel adapted for a TV or movie project? Well, I think in a lot of cases now, um, I think just the, the way that the industry is changing and the fact that there's just so much more interactive opportunity between audiences really helps out with that. Uh, you know, just, you know, maybe, you know, even like 10 years ago, hmm. the thought of somebody saying, hey, I want to crowdfund a proof of concept or I want to crowdfund a pilot episode or a film or whatever, I mean, you would probably get laughed at just because that just that mindset and that thought just really wasn't in anybody's in anybody's mind at that time. And, you know, it's just so much about uh, technology and about way the way content, and the way entertainment is distributed nowadays. It just really opens up a whole lot of these different opportunities. And ultimately, I think when you're looking at that at that sort of thing, you've you know, when when people who have money and who who, you know, do who do entertainment and who do these these kinds of things, when they see, hey, there's a there's a large fan base for this or that or whatever, it gives you a it really gives you an opportunity you wouldn't have had in the past to to get something out there and get it into the realm of possibility to make it happen, like what we're doing right now. You know, one of the things that you see these days, which didn't exist just a few years ago, uh, is the concept of having uh, YouTubers who can go out and actually put together on a rather inexpensive basis. Uh, what they want to do um, and, and put it up on YouTube. I've seen people here in Georgia uh, pull together funding and do uh, feature films of something that they wanted to do that way, uh, whether it was a remake of some other type of uh, science fiction genre. Uh, and then after that, they, they have to attract um, you know, investment people and distribution people, and if need be, additional producers to come on board uh, who have an interest in the project. And that's the other part, uh, is to find people who are genuinely interested in your 
material and want to do something with it and do justice to it, not just for the sake of what well, we want to make a buck. Right. Very important. Yeah, and I, one of the, go ahead. I was going to say, one, one of the things I would add to that, too, is the fact that film and television occurs in so many more states now because of tax incentives and other sort of boring political stuff that I won't get into. Uh, one, of the, one of the opportunities that opens for folks like us is that a lot of these states, and not necessarily the government part of the state, but just, you know, people who are in the industry in these different places, you know, they really want to find commercially viable projects that they can sort of slap their brand on and say, hey, this was completely made in this state, or this was, you know, this was conceived and this this sort of happened here, instead of just happening in the places you would, you know, that you normally associate with film and television projects. And with the state of Georgia, that, yeah, that sort of works to our advantage, because we do have, uh, we do, we do have a state that really, really wants to move towards having a thriving self-sustaining industry here and of course you know you can you can go to in, any number of marvel movies nowadays and uh you know the walking dead some of these other projects you'll see that made in georgia if you watch through the end credits um, and spider-man exactly yes yep. spider-man yep and yeah it, you know you're, you're seeing that a whole lot more all over the place now and it opens up a whole lot of other doors that you wouldn't otherwise have opened you know just a few years ago right yeah i know that um christopher nolan's batman trilogy was filmed in Illinois, and yeah, uh, the Marvel movies. If you wait till the end, you'll you'll see the stylized Georgia Peach at the very end, filmed in Georgia. So, and then and then also uh, Canada has uh, quite a few tax incentives, or at least used to for for filming. So, yeah, it really doesn't seem like filmmaking and television production are as concentrated in Hollywood as they they used to be. And you think it's because of this greater mobility, you know, of course, because of Telecommunications and the internet and the ability to engage with uh, with the audience directly more. I think so. I think that plays a lot into it. Now, mo you know, most of the money still is in New York and L.A. and you you know those those places are going to be involved in most things to one degree or another. But it really does open up a whole lot of other abilities to just kind of adapt and improvise what you do. Uh, you know the, the the tax incentives help out a lot. Um, you know the different uh, just sort of diversity of geography helps, particularly in Georgia. Uh, there's a lot of places that can pass for a whole lot of other places in Georgia, and that's one of the reasons that it's that it's very popular to come here and shoot things. And well, yeah, it, oh sorry, go ahead. No good point. Yeah, and the the other thing when we talk, I know when I get a chance to talk to people from production companies and they're here, they genuinely like to come here. Yes. Uh, the, the tax uh, incentive is one reason that they do come here. They also like coming here because they find shooting here to be uh, a much easier task as far as sort of an overall uh, energy attitude is concerned uh, that when you're in other locations and you're shooting, um, you know, the energy level uh, can be a lot more taxing on the crew and everybody that has to be doing what it is they're doing. Uh, and a lot of times that also, I think, comes in what you wind up seeing on the screen. So they, they like coming here because they just like Georgia. And of course, we're thrilled about that. And as, as Mike just pointed out, uh, we can just about shoot anything we want in the state of Georgia. About the only thing we physically don't have would be a desert. 
but we can actually go to one of the studios and if need be, we could probably simulate one of those. Right. Yeah, I, I have friends who uh, are indie filmmakers and they tell me that location shooting, like especially after travel somewhere exotic, can be one of the biggest expenses for a, a production. California. Uh, a, a quick historical note. California was picked because it was the furthest coast away from Edison. It was trying to take over the film industry by charging every movie uh, fees to use this technology. But one of the reasons why it thrived is because it had such a wide variety of different terrain that could substitute for a number of different times and places. And there was even a map of California for producers to use with uh, specific areas laid out. Like this part looks like the Southwest or like Mexico. This part looks like Italy. This part looks like England. And you can go to different places in California and shoot locations in the state that look like places uh, that are all over the world. And if Georgia has that, uh, also has that kind of advantage, it, uh, it's a very big competitive advantage towards making Georgia a real, uh, you know, real alternative to Hollywood. And, and I'll, I'll, I'll tell you a funny story how that worked. I was working on a project about four years ago and we were looking for a location. It needed to look like New York City. And I said, you know, I've got a street in mine in downtown Atlanta and I grabbed the hold of uh, one of the other producers, and I said, let's go take a look at it. So we get down in the area, and we notice there's a lot of hubbub going on, and here's all the white trailers. And as we walk out onto the street itself, uh, who's there? It's the Vampire Diaries. What are they shooting? They're shooting the sequence in New York City. And so <laughs> the, the idea was, to your point, yeah, you know, we can really do a good job of making ourselves look like what the production companies need us to look like. Great point. Oh, so, the, so there was already another another crew that had the same idea and using the same street to simulate. Oh, ab absolutely. And <laughs> and it's it's great that way. You know, I, I turned around and I just looked at him. I said, well, there you go. At least I had the right idea for the location. We just need to get them out of the way so we can shoot our stuff. <laughs> Brilliant. So we, we keep brushing up against the idea of the funding. So I think a lot of people listening probably don't have um, a very clear idea of exactly you know where, where the money comes from for a production of this scope. And it's a pivotal question. You know, money makes the world go around more so in entertainment. So are you, are you guys looking for in investors? Um, I, I know that you have a, a crowdfunding page up. The, the, the crowdfunding page that's up now, um, the idea behind it is so that we can do a proof of concept that we could share with the fans, um, show to investors, and also distributors. Uh, so that's what we're doing now. And, and you're right, um, shooting a film or shooting episodic TV, if you're looking to do it so that it's credible in its appearance and uh, get the story told so it, it doesn't look like it's a home movie, it's expensive. Um, you know, you would like it not to be that way, but uh, to shoot an hour worth of TV, which isn't really an hour, it's about 40 some odd minutes worth, um, some of the episodes on the low end, um, you know, you're looking at uh, $700,000, $800,000 on the high end. You could be looking at 
two and a half, three million dollars for an episode. Depends on how elaborate the episode is and what's going on. Right, and I just want to point out to our listeners that you can find a link to Mike and Richard's Indiegogo page in the show notes below. And also, blacktiderising.com. Uh, the Indiegogo thing may be a little harder to remember, but yeah, if you remember blacktiderising.com, it will take you straight there, too. Much easier to remember, thanks. So, moving on from more of the, the, the nuts and bolts, the, the inside baseball. So, it's, it's a common question, but uh, I'll, each, I'll let uh, each of our guests take this in turn. So how, how did you get into this business? I mean, uh, TV production, it's, it's glamorous, but it seems to most people like sort of a, a rarefied, exotic kind of profession, you know, that, that only people in Hollywood used to have access to. So I'm, I'm really curious as to uh, how, how you find yourself in this line of work. Well, for myself, uh, I, it was just kind of by accident with me. Um, I had I'd been in the Air Force for four years. I uh, did a couple extra years uh, working overseas as a government contractor. Came home, uh, well, thought I was going to law school. Uh, you know, took a, took another look at that, took a look at that market, and decided, well, that's probably not the way to go. And I was really just kind of trying to figure out what's next. And uh, this just really kind of random opportunity came out of nowhere when uh, a family friend of ours had a TV show idea, and uh, that was something that just for the hell of it one night, just because I'd, I'd become acquainted with Nick Searcy from Justified, just online, and I found out that it was, you know, kind of along the lines of a topic that he was interested in, and I just kind of threw it out to him for the hell of it one time, didn't really expect anything back, and he actually wrote back, said, tell me more, and I connected the two of them together, and he loved it enough to uh, to come and shoot footage and put a sizzle reel together, and uh, I just kind of fell into it by accident. I wound up helping out with a few things on the on the production side of it, uh, you know, helped out with some of the budgeting, was finding some locations, finding some folks to shoot with, and it just kind of went from there. And I liked it enough to say, hey, uh, you know, I guess at that point I, I took, you know, I started taking a look at what was going on in Atlanta, specifically in, in the state of Georgia, and I said, hey, you know, maybe there's something here. This is worth a shot. So for me, uh, the way I started into it, uh, I have some friends who were amateur filmmakers and, and wanted to do uh, a film festival type of shorts. And so one of the things that was interesting is in my, my past life, uh, a lot of what I had to do was project management work. So budgeting, scheduling, uh, taking care of things like that is, is something basically I'm very accustomed to doing. And so I would be pulled into these projects to produce that way and make sure that uh, whatever it was we were doing, you know, was budgeted and we stay on budget and we stay on schedule and we get everything done. And, and as I moved along, I realized that I wanted to continue doing this. Uh, I like doing it. Um, to your point, it's kind of funny because a lot of people do think it's, it's really kind of glamorous. Um, and I guess when it's all finished and done and maybe you're walking on a red carpet, it looks that way. But when you're in the middle of doing what it is you're doing, they're long days, they're 12, 14 hour days or longer. Um, you're usually certainly working six days a week because you need to keep the project on schedule and keep it going. Uh, so that's how I got started doing it was by my 
project management uh, work I had been doing for a career. Well, you know, no one really wants to see how the sausage is made, but <laughs> you know, as long as I do, that w without guys like you, nothing would get done. So, and that's true. So, so bless you, man. Yeah. And it is, as, as, as you're pointing out, if you, if you like sausage, don't go to the sausage factory. <laughs> Important tip for our listeners. So, uh, yeah. also, go, go ahead, Mike. I was just gonna say the uh, yeah the, the the talent side is definitely a lot more glamorous. It's what people associate with it the most, and in a lot of cases, it's the most fun. Uh, it's funny with you know when I worked with Nick on the project we did, that's one of the things that he would joke about quite a bit. He we would just he, you know we would be sort of in the middle of something trying to work out some kind of a problem or whatever, and he would just kind of turn to us and say, "Say man, this was a lot less complicated when I could just sit in my trailer and bitch about the air conditioning." <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, and I, I know what you're talking about. I've uh... An indie director friend, Tony Wash, who was working on a small film, High on the Hog, with, with Sid Haig. And he had his producer quit on him. And suddenly, you know, because it's a small production, it falls to the director to take over. And he's just pulling his hair. I was like, man, <laughs> I just, I don't know, I'm, a, I'm just falling apart of the seams here. And um, luckily for him, uh, Sid stepped up and he was done with his like five days of shooting. And so we'll tell you what, how about I stick around and produce an executive produce for you and he did for free and uh, help help get the movie finished so I never underestimate the the, the business side we you know the, the talent side is vital but uh, the, the finished product can't exist without both absolutely yeah it's, it's it's the difference between something you might make for your friends to see and for something to just sort of sit on a shelf and collect dust and something that actually gets out to a market exactly and it, it's a small world. But you, you mentioned Nick Searcy. He's, uh, he's a great guy. We follow each other on Twitter. And you know, I know him through another friend of the show, author Larry Correa, who's also friends mm -hmm. with John. Oh, Larry, yeah. yeah we, know, we know Larry, too. Yeah we, yeah, we love Larry. Larry's a great guy. Oh, we love Larry. He's been on our other show, Geek Gab Prime, before. So uh, folks listening out there, if you haven't listened to that episode, it's one of our most popular ones. Um, go and give it a listen after this. Jason, you've been kind of quiet. Did you have any more points or questions for Mike or Richard? Um, not particularly. No, I just, uh, I'm just, you know, glad we got a chance to bring him on the show and talk about the project. I'm excited to see it. Um, I will say this: I'm a big fan of the Black Tide Rising book series. Uh, I've read it. I'm gonna say seven or eight times. Uh, it might be a little bit more than that. Um, and I think it's one of the best vam uh, one of the best zombie series out there. Um, I uh, and for many reasons I've covered it on my blog before, but it's definitely a different take and a different approach. And the biggest difference to me is that the zombie horror genre is a genre of despair. And I think we've talked about this on the show before, actually, um, on Geek Gab Prime. But the that's it's about pretty much indefeatable enemies and the strongholds they build always collapse 
things always go to pot. They're always reduced to running something else. Everybody, you know, dies except for a couple of survivors who barely make it out, so on and so forth. And, and that was part of modern zombie movies from the very beginning, from Night of the Living Dead, George Romero's black and white movie. Everything pretty much he's done in zombies has been really depressing, really defeatist, really uh, down, and then everybody else kind of picked that up. Um, but John Ringo's books are an exception. In that, and this is something I would have liked to, because in addition to watching zombie movies, reading zombie books, and watching uh, TV shows with zombies on them, I also play a bunch of zombie-related video games. Um, Left 4 Dead, Left 4 Dead 2, uh, Four Dead Risings, um, things like that. Um, and one of the things that I think would have improved a great deal of zombie games as far as making it changing it from just being constantly under threat by zombies, and this is going to tie back into John Ringo's novels, to being something that's tactically interesting, that has strategy to it that you can manage, is by allowing you to clear out the zombies in an area and reinforce that area and slowly expand your zone of control so that you are using your skills as a player to gain... Um, to make significant gains and begin winning instead of just uh, like in the Dead Risings and Left 4 Dead and all these others, as soon as you shoot a bunch of zombies in an area and leave and go back, they just respawn a bunch more. They come out of nowhere. They just teleport in. So um, John Ringo's novels are that principle applied to an actual story where you have um, people who are intelligent, who are tactical, who are skilled, and who either have already or get access to the equipment they need, begin moving against the zombies in a methodical fashion and pushing them back and slowly winning. Now, World War Z had a zombie war that was won. That was the entire point of the book. It was an oral history um, of a zombie war. But that was like 10 years after, and you only saw bits and pieces here and there, whereas John Ringo's novels are you know, the story going on directly in front of you of people who are smart, confident, competent, and aggressive, and who plan the tactics of the of fighting zombies and who actually succeed. And that's what I think makes the book series a great series. Anyone in the audience, if you haven't read it, I encourage you to read it. The first, uh, the four books by John Ringer himself are absolutely excellent. I will say that the... Um, the anthology is more uneven because it's by a bunch of different authors, some of whom I skipped when I reread through the anthology just uh, three, four weeks ago. So, but the book series itself, the four books, Black Tide Rising series, it, are excellent. And if you want a zombie novels that are different from what you typically get, they're uh, they're a great read, and I'm hoping it'll be a great show. And it, and it should be. You know, Mike, Mike, and I have have talked about this a lot, and. And I've talked with Ringo about this a lot. Uh, what attracted me to the project was that um, it is a story. Uh, if you, it's a coming of one of the storylines. It's a coming of age story of the two sisters, uh, Faith and Sophia. And that's what attracted me to it when I started to understand where he was going with this. Yes, it's painted on the backdrop of this worldwide pandemic. The other part of what he did, which I really liked, was his approach to their family unit um, as being a complete family unit, a whole family unit. It wasn't like it fell apart 
Um, yeah, the two sisters banter back and forth with each other as you would expect two sisters to do. And that was the other part is that the characters are very believable. They're very plausible um, because he writes the dialogue in his books very much like teenage girls would wind up talking to each other uh, and their actions and what they do. And so the idea that what you're saying is that, you know, is it about the zombies? That really isn't. It's more about the two girls. It's about the family. It's about the individuals who they meet along the way as they're starting to uh, pick them up um, at first at sea. And, and they start realizing, okay, we're getting this group of people together and they become some sort of a uh, cohesive unit to help the family move that whole process forward like you were talking about of how do we rebuild society and the planet after the slate has been wiped clean and when you get into the, the last book of the four book series that's what Rigo gets into and, and as you're saying it's very methodically done he's he's very strategic about how he writes it and again makes it very believable. Is it easy? No. Is it plausible? Absolutely. And it's most probably the way it would probably happen. Yeah, and that's that's one of the things I really liked about it too was that you know when, when you see these different kinds of genre pieces, you have folks that are you know sort of tactically minded and able to organize and with military and combat experience. And a lot of times in other stories they're either just overlooked or they become the villains. Well, one of the things we really like about Ringo's approach is that, hey, these are, you know, these people are almost sort of channeling the founders of the country, if you wanted to make that analogy. And these are the people who have these sort of uh, bigger picture visions and people who can really say, okay, hey, it's time to sack up and, and start rebuilding society and start trying to, to make something out of what's happened. And that's one of the things that I really like about it. Um, I just ran into that problem just last week reading a, no, just this week, reading a comic series I picked up on Comixology, um, where the one Special Forces soldier, ex-Special Forces soldier in this terrible situation is also a football coach. Uh, it involves a high school being teleported to an alien world where there's all kinds of hostile alien creatures there to kill people. That one Special Forces soldier, who is trained, because he... He's trained to organize people, to get them motivated, to teach them how to defend themselves. Um, he actually turns out to be the wannabe Hitler and sets up a dictatorship in the school and starts beating up students and throwing me cages and stuff. And I just, I rolled my eyes so hard at that. I'm so sick of that trope. Oh, it really is. I mean, yeah, you know, do you have those people that kind of exist? Yeah. I mean, you, you know, you see it in the real world, but you also have a whole lot more who are more George Washington than wannabe Benito Mussolini. Well said. Well, on that note, we are about out of time. So I'd like to thank my special guests, Mike and Richard, and also Eddie Warpig for sitting on this one for helping to arrange this episode. Uh, before we go, does anyone have any final messages for our audience? I would just say thank you guys for listening. Thank you for supporting the campaign. Uh, go to blacktiderising.com. Check us out. Uh, this really is a very worthwhile project. It's worth your support, and it's something that really deserves to be adapted into a series. I totally agree, and uh, we, we really do appreciate your time and having us on this afternoon. And uh, for the fans that are listening, uh, 
we're looking forward to getting getting this out so you'll have something to look at and uh, give us your feedback on it. Look forward to it. Excellent. Well, thank you, gentlemen, again. Thanks to everyone at home for listening. Now, a reminder, because they work because here, and if I don't point this out, uh, he, he will kill me. Make sure to subscribe. Make sure to double secret subscribe. And after you click subscribe, you got to click the little bell icon or YouTube will not notify you of upcoming shows. So, again, thanks for listening. You can find the link to uh, Black Tide Rising and uh, your humble host other projects in the show notes below. Thanks for joining us, and remember to keep reading. <laughs>